Welcome back to Share the Air. We had a nice couple week long break and holidays and we're back at it and ready to finish up the rest of the season. Yeah, before we get into our episode with Hannah and Ari, Tulsa and I, in the spirit of the new year, (laughs) thought we might talk a little bit about our New Year's resolutions. Yeah, and I'll just preface this by saying I don't usually set New Year's resolutions, so I came up with these (laughs) almost just for the purpose of our podcast, but yeah, we can check back in at the end of the year and see how I'm doing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can start. So one resolution is inspired by a challenge issue that I faced recently, which was my aunt makes these, this family calendar for like my extended family where she puts pictures of things that people have done throughout the year. And there's like kind of different themes. It's like this page is everyone's dogs and this is everyone traveling. Well, I mean, not recently, but she asked for a picture of me and my partner and I, we don't have a single picture (laughs) of just the two of us from this year. Like I was texting friends, my mom, his family, like, and we, my mom was like, I have this one of you two on the couch with the dog next to you, like standing in your face. And I was like, okay, so new year's resolution for this year is get some more pictures of me and my partner. Um, yeah, that's, that's really lovely. One. And also very funny. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if anyone out there happens to have pictures of me and Jeff, you know, just on your phone from this, from this past year, send it to share there. <laughs> and my second resolution is I actually think something that Tina, Tina Booth retweeted, which was about tipping people, tipping wait staff and restaurants. And mm-hmm. that's something that I've been thinking about and trying to do more of, but a resolution for this year is to tip above and beyond and really show that I am grateful for people making food and working, especially in the pandemic and just giving the extra because I can, and it might help somebody. Those are great Tulsa. (laughs) Those are awesome. What do you have? Yeah. My new year's resolution is not really a resolution. Just want to say that nobody needs, nobody needs to change themselves especially in this year, if you just want to keep on going, that's also good. <laughs> but yeah, something that I, I feel like I've always really struggled with time management and I always have projects or like other things that I want to do and not to blame Frisbee, but wow, does Frisbee always come in and <laughs> prioritize itself <laughs> only because I enjoy it so much. So I'm adopting a couple of new methods. I have, I'm a big fan of apps that help me manage my time. So I found one that I'm actually really enjoying right now. I'm still on the free trial, so we'll see what happens <laughs> when I have to actually pay for it. But uh, yeah, it's helping. It's like a calendar. It's a to-do list and it's helping me sort of organize things and actually like block off time to do things. I think sometimes I look at a project and it's so overwhelming, just like the mm-hmm. big scope of it and breaking it down into into bite-sized pieces is what I'm going to try to do. So it's like, okay, I want to read this book. I don't need two days free in order to read it. I can like try to find 30 minutes here to, to read it. And that's the same for like all of my other projects. It was inspired because my trainer, when I was like rehabbing my ankle and trying to get back into the shape, into shape for the like kind of abrupt season that we had, things felt really overwhelming. And my trainer texted me after I had shared this sort of stuff with him. And he was like, Louisa, how do you, how do you eat an elephant? 
And I thought he was making a joke. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand this joke. I, I guess it's funny. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't, I forget what I said to him. But he said, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And that has like been a really cool thing that I've tried to work through. It's like, okay, I have big ideas or I have big goals that I'm sort of thinking about and they can feel really overwhelming. And I think New Year's resolutions can sometimes feel really overwhelming. So yep. thinking about it as one chunk at a time, uh, yeah. one bite at a time. I so, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you name the app, we can get sponsored, then you don't have to pay for the I know. <laughs> monthly thing. Yeah, maybe. The app is called Sunsama. S-U-N-S-A-M-A. It's very cool. pretty. I'm a big fan of aesthetics, so yeah. it's a nice looking app. But yeah, maybe we'll tag them. We'll tag yeah. them in this episode and see if they, we can get sponsored. <laughs> but yeah, those are, my, those are my things. Awesome. Yeah. And now let's get into our episode with Hannah and Ari. This episode was really fun for us to record because it was our first time talking with two people. And Hannah and Ari know each other quite well and work together, and it was fun. We hope you enjoy the episode. Just a few notes about this episode before we jump in. When we were recording our conversation with Ari and Hannah, my microphone was having some issues, so my audio is a lot lower quality than usual, so sorry in advance for that. We also had some trouble with our transcript this week. If you don't know, we always upload a transcript of the full episode for accessibility, and this week... It's going to take some extra work to clean it up and make it readable, so we'll upload that soon. And the final note is that this episode is marked as explicit. There were some swears here and there, and we decided to keep them in, so that's why that's there. All right, enjoy the episode. We're super excited to introduce our two guests today, Ari Lozano and Hannah Kawai. Ari started playing Ultimate in middle school in Seattle and continued playing with Franklin High School. They went on to play in captain at Whitman College, where she was the Sweets Callahan nominee in 2016. Ari competed with the U24 mixed national teams in 2015 in London and 2018 in Australia, winning gold in both. She has also played with Seattle Underground and Seattle Mixtape, the latter of which won the Mixed National Club Championship in 2017. Ari works as a program and development manager at All Girl Everything Ultimate Program, or Age Up. Age Up is a youth leadership program in Seattle's South End using Ultimate to build community and take on anti-oppression work. The organization was founded by Hannah, our other guest. Hannah found Ultimate in high school in Seattle and continued to play at Brown University. She joined Seattle Riot in 2010 and won two world club championships with them in 2014 and 2018. Hannah also played on a youth national team and represented the U.S. in 2016 on the U.S. women's national team in London, where they won gold. This last year, Hannah competed with Seattle End, Empowered and Decolonized, in the club series. In 2010, Hannah co-founded Age Up, where she and Ari now work. With that, thank you, Ari and Hannah, for joining us on Share the Air. Yay! <laughs> Hi! Thanks for having us! Amazing! <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us. So usually to start as like a bit of a warm up, we just have our guests kind of uh, talk about how they got into Ultimates and maybe like a brief sort of the, the greatest <laughs> hits of your of your Ultimate careers. So Ari, why don't we start with you? How did you get started playing Ultimate? Well, so I grew up in Seattle, started playing Frisbee in 2007 at Asa Mercer Middle School. 
Uh, really cute, fun facts. Sam Terry, who's also a co-director at Age Up, was one of my first coaches. Rex was the other coach, and he's actually on our board of directors at Age Up. And a few people that I played with starting then include Z, Khalif, Jesse, Henry. Those are all folks who have played on mixtape, and some currently still do. And another sweet, fun fact is another person on the Age Up staff, Anthony Ziegler. He goes by Zig. He also played on that team. Uh, so seventh and eighth grade, we all played together. And our eighth grade year won like every single tournament and league possible for middle school in Seattle, which is really sweet. And from then on, just kind of stuck with the sport. Hannah was my coach at Franklin High School, <laughs> which is also really funny. All the connections with Age Up and my coaches now are my peers, coworkers. Uh, it's all really sweet. And... A lot of the people that I play with today are all still connected, too. So, yeah, I just started playing Frisbee because Seattle has so much youth ultimate. And Mercer specifically was a very special place because we basically, I like to think, started a big trend in South Seattle for a lot of the, like, public schools in the area getting into Frisbee. I think before our crew, like, there wasn't a lot of Frisbee, like, in South Seattle and... Yeah, I don't know. I'm blurbing now, so I'm just going to stop and make for follow-up questions. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was I was going to ask, do you think a lot of those connections are just a product of you're all in Seattle and doing the Seattle pipeline sort of thing? Or is it really like there were really intentional, like some people brought other people into the spaces that, that they were in sort of thing? You had mm-hmm. teammates and coaches pulling people to club teams. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think for folks outside of Seattle, I think it's easy. And my assumption is that people just like, there's like the Seattle pipeline, which I think a lot of people from outside of the area sort of see. But I think very specific to Seattle, I think the community in South Seattle, we call it the South End, is the largest concentration in Seattle of BIPOC folks. And all the public schools there have most of the like Frisbee players of color in Seattle that are youth players. And I think that just very intentional and really sweet connection and community there has fostered this really awesome, this like environment for like all of us to play. Yeah, so very intentional. And a lot of that kind of community building and creation helped start Age Up. So it just says a lot just about the community and the people and the kind of spaces we've created for ourselves. You went to Whitman, so it sounds like this community is, it's just You've always kind of been in it. <laughs> and yeah. so what did your ultimate career look like during and after Whitman? Yeah, so really funny. I think I didn't really know about Whitman until it was our eighth grade year of playing Frisbee where our middle school team actually played a showcase game at Worlds in 2008. What? <laughs> really, yeah, really cute. I forget about that sometimes. We played a showcase game. And I'm pretty sure it was a year that Junior Worlds and Worlds were happening at the same time. It was in BC. And one of the people that like supported our like trip there was Jeremy Norton. And he went to Whitman. So that was kind of my connection from Seattle mm. to Whitman. And yeah, Whitman, really sweet. Go Sweets. Uh, <laughs> when, I first, when I first got there, the Sweets were a D3 team. And it was that year when a chunk of first year so myself and a lot of 
a lot of folks coming from like Minnesota who played youth at that level in uh, Minneapolis. All the captains were like, okay, like we can compete with a lot of the like bigger teams in the Northwest region. So UW, Oregon, UVic, UBC. And that year, the captains decided that they wanted to bump up from D3 to D1. And starting that year, we qualified for D1 Nationals every single year. Wow. And I captained my sophomore through my senior year. And senior year was the year that we made it to the finals, which was really sweet. We unfortunately lost to Stanford. But it was really sweet to just kind of build a program there. And uh, a lot of folks from Seattle ended up coming to Whitman also. There's kind of this sense that like Seattle folks, a lot of Seattle folks end up going to like Carleton and other like small liberal arts colleges that play Frisbee. And Whitman during that point in time, like kind of became one of those mm-hmm. pipelines. So that's Whitman in a nutshell. Uh, that was a really sweet experience. Captaining for three years and like building a program there was really fun. And yeah. Maybe just like really briefly, what has your, what's your club experience been or like what teams have you played for just so that we get the full picture yes right you asked for beyond Whitman I think my junior and senior years at while I was like at Whitman I during the summer would come home to Seattle and I picked up and played with Seattle Underground for a couple of seasons and after I graduated from Whitman I tried out and played on Seattle mixtape I started the 2017 season which was a really awesome season to join because my <laughs> rookie season, we won a national championship. So that was really cool. And I think, yeah, since then I've played on mixtape. I captained one year and a sprinkled in there. I also played on the U24 mixed team two times. So sweet. Awesome. It's a lot of Frisbee. I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sweet. Maybe we'll jump over to you, Hannah. Can you share how you got into Ultimate and anything on that you want to talk about? Sure. Yeah. Somebody in one of my high school classes was like, hey, do you want to play Frisbee? And I was like, sure. Why not? And my parents weren't into sports. I didn't really come from a strong sports background. And so Frisbee is perfect because most people didn't really know what they were doing in high school. But I played with a lot of people who have played for a long time in a club in Seattle and Alyssa Weatherford in high school, Shannon O'Malley at Nathan Hale High School. And we won some stuff. It was fun. <laughs> Played on the junior world's team in 2006. And then actually I got like pretty significantly injured. I like tore my labrum in both shoulders. End of my senior year at like States or something. Trying to do something stupid. And then I played the, the next tournament at Westerns like in a full sort of vest lefty. So I like, couldn't use my right arm. Anyway. That was kind of hilarious, which we won. That was wild. Um, and then <laughs> went to Brown, and the team was not good. So I didn't. I played part of a season and then fucked up my other shoulder and then was sort of convinced that I would never play Frisbee again um, and that I needed other hobbies. <laughs> and so I didn't play Frisbee in college again until my senior season sort of like I got two surgeries and also took like a year and a half, two years off. And that year I also played for Brute Squad. I did two seasons on Brute Squad, moved back to Seattle, played on Riot for 10 years. And then, yeah, did the 2016 
USA women's team and and then was, was sort of like fake retiring for like the three years after three seasons after that um, <laughs> and then my official yeah. retirement <laughs> was, who knows if she yeah, exactly. retired <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god I was like oh this is my retirement and then I was like what the fuck I'm like <laughs> I was like coaching and playing is so hard what was I thinking we were like oh I won't need to call subs it'll be pretty chill and then we like rolled into regionals and I was like I have to call subs so it's like you know run call subs just like happen <laughs> anyway it was really it was entertaining I don't know if I would recommend it or not but I had a really fun time um yeah that's my short summary I'm curious for that chunk in college where you didn't play mainly, it sounds like because of injury after the surgeries, did you know you wanted to come back to ultimate your senior year or were you missing it or what made you jump back in? And then did you know it would become like such a long-term thing? Yeah. I mean, I think I did want to play. I like, just loved, I really enjoyed the sport and the community in high school. I think one thing I sort of struggled with was it was so, I grew up in the North Seattle, which is much wider neighborhood and it was just very white and college ultimate was also very white. And I was sort of trying to figure out, I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, what's racism and about anyway. And so not playing in college also gave me a lot of opportunity to connect with a lot of the BIPOC organizing on campus and just build a network of folks there. So I think after I got my surgeries and was able to figure that out and then and took time and then was sort of like, okay, I think actually I can play. It'll be okay. And it was hard to, it was, you know, a little scary to coming back, but it was fun. And playing club was just, I think actually the real highlight. My senior year in college, we like made the second day of regionals or something and then lost all the games. So um, yeah. Cassie Wong was on that team. Oh yeah. She started, yeah. that was also her senior year. Yeah. 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 That's so great. yeah, my actual claim to fame is that Cassie Wong taught me how to weight lift. So <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah, that's good, that's good. Uh, so yeah and so playing club was was really special and yeah that experience and then being able to like come back and play on riot and i a, a number of folks that i played with in high school were then were at that point playing on riot and i just really appreciated being in a competitive athletic space with a lot of women and from of a lot of different ages it just felt like an opportunity you don't really get after college you know and like the like community building so yeah, I moved back to Seattle in 2010, and that's when I got to coach Ari for one season. Okay, and also coaching Ari for one two. season. Was it? Maybe one. I think it was your senior year. Okay, Ari's like, oh yeah, Hannah, Hannah coached me, and I'm like, okay, all I did was text Ari before important games and say, hey, like, I know you're super busy, but do you think you're going to make it? She's <laughs> 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 um, also competing. Yeah, she was yeah. meeting like hella far to, to play with us. Yeah. And so then we we had like our state quarterfinals and the team was like, like not, it was mediocre, you know? So it's like <laughs> a big deal if Ari was going to be there or not. We have like state quarterfinals and she's like, I just took the SATs, but I'm leaving now. And I was like, okay, well, we're starting in 15 minutes. So anyway, she made this like second half of the game and then we lost. <laughs> there, was <laughs> so was one, there was one... I don't know if it was states or like some. We won something. We beat out yeah. one team and won a championship, but they were like multiple championships. During, we won something. <sighs> I'm remembering a very tight game versus Nathan Hale. Yeah, but yeah, I can believe it. Something happened. Yeah, something <laughs> happened. I know they all blur together all the years. Yeah, they do. I'm like, just throw it as far as you can to Ari. 
we'll sky people and then we'll try to do it again. <laughs> oh my gosh, the Seattle Ultimate scene really is different. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple championships happening all year. Yeah, like playing yeah. other high school teams in your city. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about coaching when we get to coaching, but it's like so fucking cool that we can coach like a really competitive season and it costs my players like thirty dollars, mm-hmm. you know, and they can yeah. like be like, oh, we really want to win this thing and then we're going to have to work really hard for it. And that's been just a change over the last 10 years for sure. But it's like just such a cool part of what Seattle's built, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the team that I coach were going to D3 nationals for the first time. I was not involved with the finances and I just happened to see a doc in our Google Drive that was had a tab for budget and it is it's outrageous how much it costs. It's absolutely crazy. They were really really lucky that they've been able to get a lot of help from from their college, but it first came at the the cost of having to have discussions with their administration about why this was important to them and why they needed to help finance it and stuff like that. But I know Ultimate's expensive. I think we all know that Ultimate is really expensive. And then to see that and to think about these are college kids, not adults trying to pay for it. Yeah, it was, just, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see where's the there's so many interesting I feel, I feel like I know there's so many things to talk about especially when we have two people so it's like twice yeah. in the night it's wild Hannah and I have a lot of overlap so yeah, yeah, yeah. we can cover we can be like checked for both <laughs> yeah 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 I mean I would love to talk about coaching so Hannah you've mentioned that you have had coaching experience you've coached Ari Ari have you had coaching experience yeah I think there's this culture of just giving back to the schools or programs that you've played at, especially in the South End. I was in high school, actually. So weird thing, short side story. I was actually bused to a different, to a North End high school when I was in high school in an effort to like make the public schools a little bit more diverse. That's why Hannah mentioned that I was like commuting from very far away to get to play in my like actual neighborhood school. But I would take the school bus from Ingram High School up north and go coach and I volunteer coached at Mercer. So my first like coaching experience was really like ninth grade, my Whoa. freshman year, I was like, I need to go back and coach the the sixth graders. <laughs> and I coached a crew of those sixth graders for their entire time in middle school and other coaching experience includes coaching at like Seattle Youth Ultimate Camps over the summer. And in college, when I would come home to Seattle, I supported some of the YCCs some summer and coaching, captaining a college team are basically the same. Like, yep. captaining is, is, is coaching in college. Yep. So I basically say that, like, in college, I coached a Frisbee team. So, and I currently coach at two different schools right now uh mercer actually where i first started playing and franklin where i also played so there's just a lot of full circle like yeah like go Mm -hmm. and coach where you have connections and want to continue building and i don't know just it's i'm addicted i guess (laughs) well plus all the south and middle school coaching yeah yeah lots of yeah I think that culture is really powerful, giving back, coming back and helping continue to build the program and support. I feel like I haven't heard of that existing in many ultimate communities. And 
is it something that you kind of observed and that's how you, it was like, this is what people did. So you, you fell into it or like, how do you think that, do you have any idea how that started? Cause it, it feels like, you know, that contributes to building a strong youth system. You have tons of coaches and especially like knowledgeable, engaged coaches. I feel like that's, there are just like so many benefits to it. Wow. I don't, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. This this comes up like every season when we're trying to like find coaches mm-hmm. and do that kind of stuff. But like the first thing that we think of without it with outreach is like, all right, like who recently graduated, who actually has relationships or like knows the kids or the people that are involved in those programs. And I feel like we put in like a lot of effort in like trying to get people like coaching at their old schools quite often. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I can't say how I can answer for like. I don't know if I like observed it. I think it was just a lot of, I don't know, maybe like a lot of like individual just like interest and wanting to give back. And I think that that just like continues on. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't really tell. (laughs) Hannah? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, everybody does it. I mean, I think it it sort of speaks to this as like a community building project. Mm -hmm. I think particularly in the South End where folks are like, oh, I, I went back and like, went to my middle school practice and like coached or like my little cousins like coming to this or stuff like that. I imagine it speaks to the impact that those programs have had on individuals. I think you're much more likely to come back to a place that you feel like contributed significantly to your experience. And so I think, yeah, I think that makes sense. And it says a lot about the kinds of programs you're creating, which is awesome. Ari, are there any things that you learn from Hannah coaching you that you've employed you yourself as a coach <laughs> texting your players 15 minutes before the game starts <laughs> oh my gosh I don't even remember a lot of it because who were you were coaching with Lisa it was Hannah and Lisa and they were like trade-off coming to practices although I really can only say I showed up to games because I could never make it to practices because school was so far I would try to come after track practice to <laughs> to come to frisbee practices but I think like outside of just like Hannah coaching me like I get to work with Hannah in a work setting and as a friend and I learn a lot from Hannah every day so yeah you hate that comment don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it looks so awkward <laughs> so I'll just stop there so she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> And now, Share the Air will take a break to talk about today's teachable moment, brought to you by our sponsor, the Center for Applied Neuroscience. We introduced teachable moments in season one to explain the neuroscience behind some common tools and principles often used to enhance sports performance, such as visualization, routines, and positive feedback. If you want to hear those segments again, you can find them in episodes six through 10 and on the Center for Applied Neuroscience's website. For season two, we asked our audience what neuroscience you wanted explained, and we have Dr. Wintink here to answer your questions. Today's question is about overfocusing on errors and mistakes. Why do I remember mistakes way more than the good things that I do? <laughs> so the short answer is that our brain is basically wired to remember mistakes, but then the question is, how does that happen or why does that happen? So it's a bit of a balance between focusing on the things you do right and the things that you do wrong, but our brain is equipped with this error detection and adjustment system. So there's a few different areas in the brain that are involved. One is holding like the goal in mind. So a certain area called the anterior cingulate cortex is 
keeping track of what's my goal. This isn't like big goals in life, but just like, what am I trying to do in this task? And then there's another system or another area that's keeping track of like, how am I doing in reference to that goal? And if there's a mismatch that happens there, then another area starts activating and signals and recruits the another area, this time it's the parietal cortex, to come online and say, hey, there's a mismatch here, there's a mistake, what we're trying to do and what you are doing is not happening, we need more vigilance, we need more attention to this task. And so then that starts to recruit some other areas, and then all, all of a sudden you've got the brain focused on the error. So this is a good thing that we have this natural system because it leads to greater success. So accuracy, a whole bunch of success measures would increase when you recruit these areas of the brain. So that's a good thing, but overly focusing on it means that we're not focusing on all the other good things that also need to happen. So if it was just simply contained within that, it would be fine. But if we start adding our own thinking on it and start remembering and focusing on it, then it's like we're getting hit with punishment over and over again, saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. So this is some of the cognitive aspects that can interfere with the natural system. And as we start doing that, it's like a threat to our system. It's basically activating the stress response, which is an arousal system. And that arousal system allows us to remember things better. So we generally uh, can remember things better when we've been hit with a threat, hit with a mistake, hit with an error, again, which is good, except when we start doing it too much, because then all we do is we focus on those mistakes. So we do remember it often, but it's just part of how our brain is wired. And so we need to also add in, these are the things that I should be doing well, mm -hmm. while also focusing or having that mistake happen. Yeah, I was going to ask for a clarification. So it sounds like part of this problem of remembering mistakes is because we're adding our own analysis on top of the brain's natural mm -hmm. system. So is a way to combat that, to very intentionally think of the positive things we do, or when we have a success to walk through, okay, what were the moments that led up to that success? Yeah, exactly. So we're kind of activating that detection and adjustment system, but in a very like controlled manner and not overly focusing on it. So it sounds like it would be, it could be helpful to kind of let this system run if you're in a drill or working on a specific throw and you're doing it over and over again. But it sounds unhelpful to let this all kind of run on if you're in a game and you need to move on and, and get on to the next thing. Yes, exactly. That's a great way of distinguishing those. So like in gameplay, it's gameplay. It's not about those massive adjustments that we have to make. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Thanks to our sponsor, Dr. Mandy Wintink and the Center for Applied Neuroscience for this teachable moment. Head to www.knowyourbrain.ca and see what courses they have to teach you more about your brain. If you mention that you heard about them here, you'll get a 5% discount off course fees and they'll also donate 5% back to share the air. Just a quick note, we had some technical difficulties here. The question we asked Hannah is about her coaching experience. Here's her response. I moved back to Seattle in 2010 and wanted a more BIPOC community experience in Seattle. And so coaching was one of the ways that I wanted to like get, get more connected. And 
So started coaching at Franklin High School, and I've been coaching there since then. So this is that's a lot of seasons of high school. Wow. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's just like one of my favorite things. I think the relationships I get to build with people, with young people. I don't know, girls' sports and ultimate. It's just like such a useful place in the context of like sexism and the patriarchy and the world of toxic masculinity. You know that we all live in. And like they were fucking dope. <laughs> so we won states in 2017 and 2018. And that was sort of what I mentioned earlier about the sort of shift away from travel tournaments to local mm. competition. And so, what I mean, USAU stopped running Westerns and Nationals, I think. And then this Northwest and USAU sort of like this Northwest just sort of started taking, I don't know. Anyway, there was some figuring out there and... So, yeah, so states basically since like 2015 has been like the tournament to win and play it like in a stadium here, semis and finals are in the stadium, like people come, like it's just such an awesome sport experience. And we played the most epic Frisbee game I've ever been a participant of in 2017. (laughs) They were like down like 7-3 or something and came back to win on Universe Point for like the first, basically the first championship sort of for the South End. Um, and the Southern teams had been in the finals before, but no one had won. And so that was a very big deal. And I think still something that a lot of people are really proud of. And yeah, I mean, I think it's been interesting with the pandemic and seeing the impact of that on our programs and our young people. I mean, because we know the disproportionate impact of COVID on communities of color, but it was so, mm-hmm. I mean, and like, yeah, it's so wild to sort of see that play out. in in a frisbee context you know which is of course we would but also like what a strange place to see that and so yeah right now i'm coaching or i'm I'm coordinating which means texting people and being like hey did you sign your waiver (laughs) the biggest co-ed season that we've ever had at franklin and everyone's just it's been really sweet to like return to play we've been playing again since may 2021 so so just briefly for people that don't know, this the Seattle High School Leagues, it's like one-off games against other schools, and the top teams make the playoffs, kind of, and then those yeah. are single games in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Can you talk maybe briefly about the price piece of it and how that makes it more accessible to more people? Well, I mean, just when I was playing in high school, like, sure, I don't know. People are like, oh, Frisbee, it's so cheap. You don't need like all this equipment, stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's like, sure. But if you want to get good or if you want to compete at any type of level, you have to be able to like travel and go to tournaments. And that's just so expensive. And I think the level of coordination and support needed to be able to go to a tournament is hard. So switching to like more of a local league model. I mean, use uh, Northwest still runs tournaments. So there's like a, I mean, pre-COVID, they had an invite tournament every Mm -hmm. fall and spring and a big spring rain, but that was all local. It was like drivable. And Seattle's Frisbee scene is, I I think it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg, you know, it's like the Frisbee scene is big enough to support that level of competition, but also like you have to have local investment in order to build like a base that big. And if you're spending all your money on like the sort of elite level players getting to high level tournaments and that's where the resource is going, then uh, you also don't. You know, it's like, what's the investment at the like JV level? I think that's always a good indicator of like the health of a youth Frisbee community because 
it's that level of investment that then sort of supports the quality, I think, across the board. So, and then Dis Northwest actually just switched to a entirely sliding scale model uh, for leagues, yeah. and they they sort of continued. We have a really great relationship with them, and they've always supported our programs playing in their leagues for sort of as cheap as possible. And so now it's even easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's awesome. it's cool. I just yeah. think that the like yeah the sort of race and class analysis so it's not just us i mean i think that it's taken a lot of work and negotiation over time but our programs in the context of dis northwest programs i think there's a very good healthy symbiotic relationship i'm not really sure what the right word is here but to make it work mm-hmm. hannah you said you started coaching in 2010 yeah yeah 10 years <laughs> 10 years is like i think i think that's really unique for a lot of coaches i don't know many coaches who are with programs for, or just who have been with programs for so long and, and have had success and stuff. What choices do you make? What processes do you do? What what goes into you contributing to like that team's culture? You've had many years to do it. So yeah, what 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 maybe lessons have you have you learned in, in ten years? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to shout out Sam Terry, which is Ari's OG middle school coach is still coaching at Mercer. So he's hitting like year 16. So the bar is wow. <laughs> maybe 17. I don't know. Is it 2004 was the first year? I feel like he started in, it was either 2004 or five Yeah, at Mercer. Yeah. So, and Kaiser, I think at Aki is like also. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. In the in the double digits. There's a lot of continuity, yeah, in different programs. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like very, I mean, we haven't sort of officially started talking about age up, but this is like very embedded with the work we're doing, right? So this Mm -hmm. is, this is all part of that, which makes it more sustainable, like as a person, for sure. Um, You asked about team culture, lessons learned. I mean, I think a big one is supporting leadership on the team. I really, that's like something I love doing and like open and honest communication about how things are going and supporting young people, like doing that sort of work with their peers is something that has been really useful and productive. And I mean, even just like, I don't know, I kind of think it's sort of a like clearing the air, you know, type of thing. It's like, okay, here's one of your captains. She's going to leave and we're going to talk about stuff that she's doing really well and stuff that's hard. And then we're going to she's going to come back and we're going to tell it to her face, you know, because <laughs> I know you're all, y'all are talking about it like behind her back anyway. No, it's, it's, I think it's just, how do we build in opportunities for people to build good relationships with each other and support that? And I mean, and they're already so good at it. Uh, I think that was like some of my, the things that I felt like I got to learn was just like being part of the community. And I think that it was, these teams were different than teams that I played for in high school just like treating each other like whole human beings, you know, with complicated lives and all of that. And not just like, what, what do you show up at the fields mm-hmm. with, you know? Yeah. So I feel like you're molding and shaping life skills that are building empathy and, and communication and teaching these things that they will carry on everywhere else. And I feel like to me, like that, that feels like a really important piece of a good coach And I think when people talk about the benefit of sports, those are the things they talk about, right? It's like learning these life lessons and stuff. And and I think not everyone can do that. (laughs) The good coaches do that, right? (laughs) I think this is is a great transition into age up stuff. So 
2010 mm-hmm. was a big year because you moved, you got, did you graduate college in that year and moved back to Seattle and started a job mm-hmm. all in the same year? Within yeah, a, within a year ish. Yeah. I would just say one last piece on like coaching people. I think, I don't know, I just, you know, we, we talked sort of a fair amount about like ageism and adultism at age up and just actually listening to young people and giving them opportunities to shape the programs that they care about is another sort of part. I think, I, I don't know, I, I feel like there's a way that coaches, we either think we're in charge or sort of feel like if we sort of, you know, it's like that sort of top down model, right? And like, I feel like every year I'm sort of more like, okay, what do you guys want to build? Let me support that. Let's talk about it. Let's experiment. Let's figure it out. And, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's their programs that I want to, I want to support their growth and leadership, like in the context of something that they're excited about and passionate about. So, and then, you know, I can teach them some things about Frisbee, but they, they got the rest of it, I think, <laughs> really covered. <laughs> yeah. so. Okay. So you were, you were asking about the, about 2010. Yeah. 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I would say start age up, quote unquote, is a little bit of a maybe misnomer, miss something, just because, you know, Ari mentioned the Frisbee programs were started in like 2005, 2006, and, and sort of the years of community building, right? Like people coming back and coaching uh, that was happening in those years. And one of the relationships that we had was with Jefferson Community Center, just a community center right next to Mercer with the director there who was just like, hey, like, I think I can get you guys a couple thousand dollars in like this room. Do you want to do anything? You know, and we're like, <laughs> sure. And and that was kind of the first couple of years also of those middle schoolers moving to high school and middle schools all sing co-ed and it's actually a district sport, district sponsored sport. And so that's organizing that happened in the late 90s, early 2000s under Mary Lowry, who got Frisbee like in SPS, like Seattle Public Schools. So I think it's, it, you know, we're always building on the organizing that sort of came before us, you know, and, and that was definitely what was happening in this moment. And I think what we were seeing was young people, particularly girls struggling in the transition between middle school and high school, particularly because there were like not as strong high school girls programs, as we know, in sports often happens. And so we just ran a cohort of 30 young people who were I guess, down to be experimented on by some people that didn't really know what we were doing. But we were just, you know, it was like coaches and alumni and players and just excited to like hang out and talk and think about anti-oppression topics and get to know each other. And after it was done, I don't remember, it was like January or something. (laughs) February, we're like, do you guys want to do that again or what? And they're like, yeah. So, yeah. So I think there's, you know, there's a crew of coaches who were, we organized, um, but really it was a co-created project with young people. And if they were like, nah, that was cool, right? It'd be done. And and they did a lot of organizing over the next couple of, you know, while folks were in high school and beyond um, to run that program again. And for a long time, it was just a winter, one winter like cohort piece. And then different parts just sort of added in as we've gone. And so, yeah. Yeah. Can you quickly describe where you're at today, what you offer, what the program is? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty wild. Like we've got like a budget of money. And we have... <laughs> I mean, we had our first paid staff in 2016. It was like two, me and Sam Terry were halftime. And now we have six full-time staff, which is wild to me. New as and... of this year. 
yeah so that was like april 2021 we moved our like three remaining halftime people to full-time and so we all do like a mix of coaching coordinating and like cohort running and sort of internships and different stuff like that and summer camps and so so yeah there's there's like a lot going on it feels like wildly (laughs) busy (laughs) somehow but i think the core of what we are trying to do is the same like partner with young people to build programs that make sense for them and that like supports the community building that we were seeing like from year one you know or year negative five or something you know yeah yeah I don't know, Ari, did I miss stuff? The way that I like kind of organize it in my head is there's the piece that's coaching and supporting South End programs. So all of our staff members coach at different programs in South Seattle, whether it's middle, high school, or even elementary school. And folded into that is what Hannah mentioned of coaching at camps. And then also we coach club playing opportunities. So the team that Hannah played on this past club season like a team of all like South End age of alumni and folks from the like same area and there's also a men's team and so like there's like that piece around organizing playing opportunities and trying to incorporate also some high level playing opportunities and just because we just want to create club teams with the kids in the neighborhood type of situation and then I break it down with the like programming piece where yeah we have our girls program that has been running since year one and a couple years after that started, a boys program started to think more about the patriarchy and more oppression topics that are just based in thinking about toxic masculinity and other men's oppression. And the sweetest part is like Hannah mentioned also like internships mm. and stuff. And I think that's a cool opportunity for us to like work. And like, again, like all of our work is co-created and with young people. And so when we like do internships, it's like, what do you, what do y'all want to do? What do you think your peers what do like other adults need to know that like you are all obvious experts in i love getting to work with our interns and be like what do you what do you want to like teach us all about you know like i think it's just it's it's always really fun so i think i like coaching support and then thinking about like our cohorts and all of that is how i like break down what our programming Mm -hmm. does what are some projects that interns have brought forward oh my i think some of my like favorite ones is so a lot of our like cohort-based programming, like our winter boys and girls programming, a lot of work, we do a lot of workshops and thinking about anti-oppression things. And starting a couple of years ago, like I don't forget who it was, but I was like, why don't we like do this with adults? They should think about ageism and sexism and racism and all the stuff we talk about. And our high schoolers, our interns have put on workshops for adults in our community to talk That's about incredible. things like this. Yeah. And what do, what do these programmings kind of look like? Is all of these sorts of lessons in the context of sports? Are there more classroom sort of activities? Like what is, what does the programming look like? I mean, a lot of our young folks will play on teams. And like the cohorts, we play Frisbee, but we don't, there's no like com- competition. We don't travel, it's not like a travel team or it's like a practice, a dinner and like a workshop of some okay. sort. And then we try to go, we go on retreats and that's actually the, like the really fun part. Well, the rest of it's fun too, but the retreats <laughs> are the really exciting part. So before COVID, we were running like three retreats a year. The summer, we run like a summer cohort for folks that have like done our programs before. And we went to Eastern Washington and like met up with a youth program that was doing a 
sex ed organizing in Okanagan County, which is the county in Washington state with the highest teen pregnancy rate, because it's all abstinence only education, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> and so we just got to like meet and talk to young people. Uh, you know, and they just, we just got to hear uh, from each other about like, what's life like, you know? For all of these workshops and things like that, is it that there's a younger person kind of leading or at least co-leading these activities? Yeah, a lot of the times, sometimes, I mean, I, I, I organized that retreat and it was sort of, a, some of it was like, oh, what would I be really psyched to go to? <laughs> <laughs> Slash like, where do we have relationship? Because we really are mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, we want to visit places mm-hmm. where we know people that it makes sense for them. But we had like alumni leading small groups and that, that was like part of that. They got to put together a curriculum on different topics and talk about what topics they wanted to lead. So I was leading a like mental health group that I coached in high school. And so we got to just like build curriculum together and co-facilitate meetings and stuff like that. I mean, I think one of the struggles with, you know, we say like, okay, we want to be responsive to young people, right? But if we're responsive every moment, what labor are we doing versus what labor are they doing? And young people have a ton of commitments, right? So we try to compensate young people sort of as much as we can for the community organizing that they do for free in so many areas of their lives and also carry a thread of, okay, this maybe this was named like two years ago as major issues. And so we're, we're sort of iteratively building on the topics that we're seeing. And I think we see steps change, but over you know, the span of three to four years. Okay, this has shifted into a more mm-hmm. rarity compared to this and stuff like that. So, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but... <laughs> no, it does. I have so many questions. This is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, in building curriculum or in putting together these, like, workshops, do the two of you as adults ever feel that someone brings forward a topic or something that, that either of you feel like, oh we need to get training in this or we need to, you know, what sort of research goes into putting together curriculum that maybe you're not as familiar with if, if that ever happens? The, the thing that I was thinking about in like a workshop setting is like, we're all lifelong learners, right? So we're all learning something all together. And one of the first things I think about when thinking about a workshop or any of our cohort based things is first off, what does it look like to create a safe space where people can like share their like full selves and share their experiences? So thinking about and talking about things that are based in our real life experiences, that's where we're all experts in, right? We know, like, we know what our lived experience. And if we can create a a safe space to share all that stuff, that's the first thing I Mm -hmm. think about when it comes to workshops. And, like, that's where we're experts, right? Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to thinking about, like, specific topics, I think it's a combination of what are you seeing and noticing from your day-to-day life? And where pieces where we can also, like, bring in folks from the community that we have relationships with that can also, like, tell us more about what their experiences have been like and like so many of our workshops are built off of that it's not about like telling people information it's about sort of facilitating something with their group i did make Mm -hmm. me think of like i think our staff has done a lot of work on our own yeah I, i think there is a lot of work to be done to just be better skilled around a lot of this stuff so i think we've done a lot of work around mental health and we've been partnering with we've had just a really sweet partnership with api chaya which is a asian pacific islander domestic violence sexual assault center in seattle and so we've had just doing a ton of relationship consent boundary setting skill building among staff in order to sort of share that build that out more comprehensively with our coaches and school teams so i think that's kind of an example. I think the climate is like one of the things that I think is an example of things that 
are profoundly impacting us and our young people and the staff, like us, <laughs> like we all have a lot of feelings and don't actually engage with that conversation a ton. And so what I think happens is if we haven't already worked on something, young people sort of don't find as good of a foundation or like landing place for that conversation, you know? So in that sense, I think the better skilled staff is with around a lot of these topics, the better we are at like a identifying moments that are like learning moments around it or supporting young people as they're struggling with something with it. So I think we try to be like, okay, we're continuing to do work. We're building out curriculum with this focus, as already said, of grounding in our personal experiences and supporting young people and building those kinds of spaces together. But there's always, you know, got to work on our own shit first. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. <laughs> Share the Air will be right back. But first, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Share the Air is sponsored by the National Ultimate Training Camp, located in Western Massachusetts. Nutsy is the longest-running ultimate sleepover camp in the country. It has also gone international, hosting camps and teaching clinics all over the globe. With the most talented coaches in the world, Nutsy is teaching ultimate for the next generation. Learn from the best at Nutsy. Share the Air is also sponsored by BC Ultimate. BC has been producing custom uniforms and performance apparel since 1998. A company that proudly puts values and community before profit, BC is the world's best source for quality design and all your ultimate needs. You can support BC and rep Share the Air jerseys by checking out our team store at bcultimate.com. So AJEP has been around for about uh, a decade now. I'm sure that it has evolved at least a little bit in the last 10 years. What are some of the more recent challenges that AJEP has been facing as an organization? I mean, COVID. (laughs) (laughs) COVID, that's the thing. COVID, yeah. I think this moment was a little melodramatic of me, but I definitely early quarantine was like, all right, that's it. We're wrapping up. That was was a good run, you know? And yeah, I mean, we didn't run any in-person programs for like 14 months or something. So no Frisbee was happening. We pivoted to do COVID relief stuff. So we were actually giving out a lot of cash grants. And that was a combination of individual donors and grant money that we got. So we moved like $230,000 in cash grants to families. That was sort of a niche. I was like, you know, there's so many other orgs doing a ton of stuff that is meeting a lot of needs. So like, what's something we could do that would fit and supplement? So we did that through sort of our school relationships that we had built through like Frisbee teams and stuff. So yeah, returning to play has been like a big challenge. I think there was all the challenges of how do we do this safely? And this Northwest did a ton of legwork and continues to do a ton of work on that front. There's getting reconnected with players. We were definitely in touch with young people during the like hard quarantine phase, but uh, there's the people that we weren't in touch with, particularly like middle schoolers as they were transitioning to like ninth grade, which we knew was a particularly mm-hmm. a time. <laughs> and then actual physically returning to play. So like players who were like, oh, I haven't run in a year. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, well, let's see what we can do here. And the social emotional part of being on a team again. So yeah, that's been a big project to support. And I think just this piece around seeing sort of disparities show up in the disproportional impacts of COVID, like private schools in Seattle, like played the whole fucking time, right? Because they could. North End Public Schools played 
part of the time. All of our programs like didn't play at all. And, you know, a lot of our young people live in intergenerational families and stuff like that. So like, it just makes sense, you know, we, but, <laughs> but it was so wild, you know, this is the first year, maybe since States was a thing that a South End boys team didn't qualify. And there's maybe some other mitigating factors floating around, but it's not an insignificant, I think, data point. So this has been kind of wild. Those are the biggest challenges mm-hmm. that are in front of my face. I'm like, anything involving COVID has been a challenge. So yeah. have you, has AJEP resumed any of the workshops? Is that what constituted that season that the middle school just wrapped? So that was just coaching and playing practices and, playing. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So our workshop season, we like were running our cohorts on Zoom, okay. which was like mm-hmm. a good life experience and, you know, not that. You just, <laughs> yeah, you get crushing. so <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys. It's nice to see your face, but this sucks. The biggest thing you can notice is how can you like authentically connect with people like on Zoom when there's this lack of structure, mm-hmm. downtime of hanging out and getting to know people. I think a challenge definitely for like me and I would assume other staff is like, how do we like foster spaces for like people to like connect with each other in a really sweet way? someone who's like running a zoom and you actually have to be a lot more intentional about how you get people to connect with each other and i think that in itself was a really huge challenge that we're still trying to figure out because Mm -hmm. you know that's a year plus of not having day-to-day like socializing skills also like returning to that has just been like okay forgot how to talk to people (laughs) how do we do that again in person (laughs) so my mom runs a grief support organization for kids and families and she had to switch all of her programming to online and she was just like having so much trouble getting kids to be there have access to computers not have other people in the room have their cameras on show up to the school group and and especially her work is so necessary over the past year with so many more people losing parents family whatever but it's so challenging to provide and and have that environment that feels safe to share stuff while you're sitting in front of your computer screen. What are you excited with right now about Age Up and for the future of Age Up? What I'm excited about right now that has been very bucket filling recently is the fact that we can relatively safely connect with young people in person again. Starting to coach again in May, I think it was was just so fun and so sweet and I like forgot how much I missed doing that and I think what's really sweet right now is well the school that I played at that Hannah coached me at Franklin this is like our first season where we have three mixed division teams in a season and I'm coaching a a team of just ninth graders and the sweetest part like a really sweet part about that that I'm especially excited about is that a lot of these ninth graders were kids that I coached when they were sixth graders and I coached them their sixth and beginning of seventh grade year. And then the pandemic hit us and quarantine happened. And now I get to like coach some of these same kids, but they're just grown humans. now. <laughs> they're like taller and they're like, it's sweet to be able to like reconnect with kids that like have experienced a lot in the past Mm -hmm. year and a half and just get to reconnect with them and I think what's also just really sweet is just bringing in more coaches also that have been part of our programs it's gotten to the point where young people that I've remembered coaching in previous years are now like coaching other teams also 
And like seeing a lot of that is always really exciting. And what you said earlier about people just coming back and coming full circle and coaching at their programs, just seeing that happen is something that that gets me really excited. So that's one thing that really excites me. Okay. Are you getting a food delivery? Food delivery. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, I'll add while Hannah's still getting food, but also really a a really sweet thing is just like our staff expanding and going like six full-time folks this year has been really sweet. The three full-time staff have also, or like the three half-time staff that got brought up to full-time are all also folks who grew up in South Seattle and have also been part of the program. So just like continuing on this, you know, the people that are going to know best uh, to like serve the community are people that come from Mm -hmm. it and our staff is a reflection of that. And I think just continuing to like build that excites me. So. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Those are great things. We just have, yeah, a bunch of new coaches. So supporting new coaches. I'm really excited about the like healthy relationships work we're trying to figure out. And like, how do we do that? How do we like skill build with coaches and skill build in our programs to make our programs healthier and teams? And I also think the mental health work we do is really interesting on the sort of the end of like, how do we all build better skills around having our feelings, naming our feelings, supporting our networks to do the same and not just crisis management in isolation, which is sort of the way that the culturally (laughs) non-relevant crisis management in, in isolation, you know? So like, how do we make mental health a community project? And... I mean, I I also think like there's lots of places where we're just like more capacity is making a big difference places. So the staff expansion has made a big difference with that. Just being able to support coaches, you know, we're all coaching, but also all the other people that like help make this work better and more responsive and more opportunities to communicate with young people because we're not like jumping from job to job to fit this into our spare time and stuff like that. So and then, I don't know, trying to survive the nonprofit industrial complex, maybe. That'd be cool. So, yeah, some of those things. I did have one kind of more, like, specific question. I was curious about your number of kids in your program and whether you saw an impact from COVID either way. I've heard of some programs where kids are just looking for stuff now, and there's just a really high demand for programming. And I've also heard there's a lot less. So I, I was curious if you had been impacted in one way or another. Yeah, I mean, we've had like up to 600 kids a year pre-COVID and then definitely dropped during COVID, but we had different points of contact Mm -hmm. with people. This is the biggest co-ed season we've ever had at Franklin, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell if it's just an organizing capacity piece or a demand piece. Although I do think once they got back at the school, like kids were just showing up to frisbee practice basically I'm like hey i want to play and so supporting that you know and they're like um, we're like three weeks into the season but sure i was talking to the jv coach at cleveland high school and he was like every week i get another handful of kids showing up and he's like and we're now we're done <laughs> so i think it, i do think there is like a high demand and i know that some other club sports aren't happening in seattle or sps schools so i i wonder also if some young people are like oh i can't do this and i usually do that so i'm gonna go do this but it does seem like sports are just like in a high demand So I know you've mentioned that Age Up obviously is very based within Seattle. And after 2016, you had a bunch of folks from outside the area donate only to then have it peter off after the year. Has anyone from a community outside Seattle 
reached out to you about trying to start age up sort of programming in their own communities? Yeah, totally. We were connected with folks doing stuff in Triangle area and then the Bay area has been running some stuff and we actually facilitated a workshop for them because they were doing theirs on Zoom. Rocky Beach. Yeah, Yeah, Ultimate Ultimate Impact. Impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just like talk to people over the years. I mean, I I just think what we're doing is community building and youth organizing. And like, there's just people are doing that all over the country. And so I think there's maybe some ways that it makes sense for people to talk to us. And then in other ways, I'm like, there are youth programs doing like anti-racism work in your city, in your neighborhood. And there's a way I think that like Ultimate Frisbee can be sort of separate from that sometimes. And it's like, oh, well, who's doing it Ultimate? And it's like, well, it's it's not actually that different if you're doing it a different sport necessarily, right? Like, I think there's some built-in networking community that's really helpful. But what would it look like for you to sort of be like, okay, who's doing it here? What does it look like for us to build long-term relationships I mean, there's a lot of project excitement, and this is a thing that sort of happens all over, right? Like somebody's excited about a project, but like, are you down to do that project for 10 years? Like, I mean, if you'd asked me in 2010, if I was down to do this for 10 years, I would have said no, like, hell no, there's no way I'm going to do that, right? But, (laughs) right, like, what is sort of actual community embeddedness look like? And long-term relationship look like? And I, oftentimes those projects don't necessarily come with those things, and I don't think you can do this effectively without it, so... I think the pieces that I took out of that and that I like also agree with is I don't think part of the point is us like expanding age up into another city. It's like Mm -hmm. the people that are already within that community building that with what makes sense with their own people and organizing that's already happening. Right. So I feel like a lot of times like young people like, when are you going to bring it to Portland or when are you going to bring it to this? It's like, (laughs) well, this is, this is our community here and it's us deepening our connections and relationships within our already existing community that doesn't necessarily mean expanding to another city it means just connecting with other folks trying to do the same thing too so i think that's the piece around when i think about like yeah is this going to come to other cities it exists in your other cities you just have to build it or the question people are asking is like how do i get more brown kids to play frisbee right uh, yeah. coaching you know so it's like those <laughs> one of those two and then it's like okay well that's a different question First of all, why mm-hmm. do those brown kids need to play Frisbee? They don't need to be playing Frisbee. Do you just want them to be playing Frisbee so that you look less racist as a program or something? Because that's a that's not, not a, a good reason cool to start. Yeah, that's not a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> if you want young people to have access to a sport that you're excited about, that's different. So I think I think sometimes it's teasing out some of the like, okay, what's the actual question and what are you trying to do? And I really enjoyed my conversations with people who are organizing in lots of different contexts. That was my other like highlight of just actually being staff at Egypt was I was like, oh my God, I can like respond to this email and I have time to talk to them. That's so cool. So. So those first few years before you were even a part-time staff, you were just kind of doing all of this on the side along top of whatever other jobs you were doing. Yeah. I mean, we were all doing that. So the first six years basically was a lot of just yeah people volunteer power. We had a relationship with Up to Us, which is a national AmeriCorps coaching sports specific AmeriCorps positions. And so we were able to pay some people. I did that in one of the years. And so that was one way that we were able to sort of give money to people who are doing a lot of work, a lot of a uh, scrounging, I guess. <laughs> I do think that like for me personally, like I'm so embedded in this and I've been embedded for a long time. And so I, I feel like I have less of a sense of, am I telling you the story of this in a way that makes sense to someone who isn't as connected? And I also can't quite 
figure out what's AWS position in a larger national ultimate conversation or landscape. And I think part of that is sort of what Ari and I were saying about really wanting to think about deepening hyper-local work versus trying to do something more broadly and just investing more resource there. But I don't know. I'm always curious with folks like yourselves who are sort of talking to a lot of people all over the country. Like, I don't know. I'm just like, what's, what's the haps? <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you get what we're doing? Like, can we describe it? Like, well yeah, I think it's interesting yeah. because as we talk to people and then as we edit and try and shape this story, we're always looking for what the, the through line is. And I think from what I'm hearing of how HF began and your experiences in Ultimate in Seattle is there's so much centered in community and that's such a valuable piece. I feel like that's the thread that I see connecting everything. With regards to if you feel like you explain that clearly, I 100% think so. I didn't I didn't know that this was such a fundamental part of Asia. I feel like I have a much better sense of your work and what it does and why it's so important. Great. <laughs> Hope we can edit it to make it sound cool. Again, I know that this is very local work and, and everything, but if folks would like to support Age Up or even just to learn more, do you have a link that you can send people to or a place that you can send people to? We'll add it to the show notes for this episode as well. Oh. I want to say go to our website. There's pieces of that that are like updated and not. I think that's, <laughs> that's how it goes. And <laughs> like, that's how it goes sometimes. I will say one of our like fundraising goals for this year is to reach 200 monthly donors and we're actually pretty close to getting that so like a plug if people want to become monthly donors to age up join on that i'll send some links over yeah sign on as a monthly donor <laughs> i think we're like 30 people away or something oh nice 200. okay let's see if oh, that's so close. Yeah. Get, us, yeah. get you to hit your goal <laughs> yeah that'd be great I'm, I'm on board for that cool 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 so we usually ask these questions of our guests to kind of close out, close out the show. We'll start with, with you, Ari. What's next for you? You're working with Age Up, you're playing mixtape, playing Tempest. What's next for you? Wow, what's next for me? <laughs> that feels hard. That's uh, <laughs> usually what people say. <laughs> that is really hard. I'm like, same old, same old, continuing to do the same stuff and continuing to like find joy in all the places that I choose to put myself in like it has been quite a transition coming out of what was a very hard quarantine space and now being able to like reconnect with people again and I think what's next is yeah like finding those places of joy that I wasn't able to find in a really hard year of COVID quarantine I think mm -hmm. that's next and just continuing to build relationships with people and especially with like all the young people that are like growing up in the same neighborhood and place that I grew up in. That's always, I think what's next. So yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Anna, how about you? Well, trying to figure out like how to transition out of age up at some point. <laughs> I was telling Ari that I scheduled myself a vacation in February. So good job me. It's <laughs> um, good job you. But I think that's that's actually been like a significant project for us is just, I think, just trying to think about like, okay, how do we transition people like through the organization and through organizational leadership? So I'll keep you guys updated. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Oh, we have Goalty League happening and playoffs are on Monday next week, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Team Black. This is my like competitive outlet these days, so um, it's a serious off season sport in Seattle. I don't know anybody who plays full fields pickup or anything like that. I love that. Yeah. Wow, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if anybody needs to challenge Seattle to some goalty, bring it on. We'll, we'll take you any day. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Okay, the next question that we ask is what do you hope is next for the Ultimate Community? And that could be kind of like whatever size Ultimate Community you want to think about. Ari, do you want to start? No. (laughs) (laughs) I just put food in my mouth. What the heck? Yeah, good one, Hannah. You should start. I don't know. We should. I was like, oh, Ari's got this, obviously. Well, I just think this local organizing and competition piece is like actually a really big deal for not just for like accessibility, but also for addressing the climate crisis that we're all facing right now. So I would say like, and I think everybody, every club ultimate player I've talked to is like, I've learned some really good lessons not playing a season, right? And then like with stuff sort of rolling back out, it feels like we're all moving at 150%, you know? And I just think the cost of these tournaments both in terms of emissions and (laughs) dollars right is just not gonna is not a sustainable project or approach or direction and that the ultimate community as a whole there'd be some really interesting like reassessing about what frisbee actually should look like in 10 years not what it could look like you know what i mean and so i feel like that stuff's on my mind yeah there's even Something that I was thinking about for myself was, oh, wow, like after a year of a break and not having any injuries or like whatever, getting more space and time to do other things outside of Frisbee. One thing I do want to say is, okay, what does it look like? Yeah, to slow down again. I think there was a way where because Frisbee was forcibly put on pause that people got a chance to think more deeply and do other things. And yeah, there's a way that it's just returning to it has felt very fast. And what does it look like to like slow down again and go back to some of those things that you were thinking about when you were forced to stop playing again, you know? And was it look like to engage in some of those ways again? That sounded very vague, but I think that's why. <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole other two hour episode talking about return to play and yeah. and the urgency of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to play 10 Second Stall, which is essentially like a hot seat sort of <laughs> sort of game. And I don't well, we're going to propose a couple things to you and you can decide which feels better is we can do our normal 10 Second Stall, which is we will ask each of you a series of questions and you have to answer it in, in 10 seconds before you get stalled out. Or we can do we can split the questions and we can ask you to answer it about the other person. Oh, whoa. Like a marriage, that marriage. Sort <laughs> of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's see if we can do it. Test your relationship. That sounds really funny. I kind of want to do that one. That sounds very entertaining. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. 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 Uh, we'll ask and then the person guesses for the other person and then you'll say yes or no. And whatever your answer would be yeah. if you want. Great. 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 Yeah. It's a very okay. generous stall out. <laughs> 
Oh, good. Okay. Well, it'll be, it'll be slower than how I stall, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll go. I'll, the, the first one is coming to you, Ari, about Hannah. Okay. <laughs> what teammate does Hannah want on the line with her? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel like you like playing with Amy, and then sometimes you don't, but I think playing with your sister is always fun. So I'm going to say Amy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. I'm I'm with it. Yeah, but what is what's your answer? <laughs> uh, it's too hard, too stressful. That's why I, just I said think that's sister. the point. That's okay. <laughs> I, I mean, she wasn't like no. So <laughs> yeah, Amy is definitely high on the list. So Hannah, who's the hardest matchup that Ari's ever had, either guarding <laughs> or being guarded by? Oh shit! Well, they just lost to BFG in the in the semifinals of nationals which i did watch kind of oh and the, the sue twins i feel like you marked up on them sometimes and your whitman teammates so that's i'll go with them just because they're cute that's cute together. <laughs> that's a good answer <laughs> yes although i feel like we never actually guard each other real i think we all play on d lines oh shit okay <laughs> okay ari what is hannah's most used emoji <laughs> oh, the skull. The, like the, the skull. The dead of, one? I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> I think that's, that's, a, that's, that's a top one. <laughs> yeah, that's up there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, Hannah, what is Ari's favorite tournament slash tournament location? Somewhere warm. Doesn't matter what tournament is hot. <laughs> That's very accurate. I would say, like, warm, like, by water, ideally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ari, what, it, what would Hannah's walkout or goal celebration song be? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like it'd be, like, some obscure, like, like indie, like, pop something, like, wouldn't even know the title of. Oh my god! I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. You even have something picked out for yourself? No, of course I wouldn't. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I think that's a really hard question. I don't know what my my answer would be. I think you've been stalled out. This is that's a stall. Too bad. Rip. (laughs) Hannah, if Ari can only have one throw, what throw do they pick? Probably like a forehand blade. Oh, that's fun. That's I feel, it's, fun. I feel it right? like it's, a, it's an up-and-coming throw, you know? It's like, yeah, it's so reliable. I like so reliable. Goal It's a, it's a yeah. good goal tee, Yes, though. yeah. We've been playing a Which lot of goal lately. The more important game. <laughs> <laughs> right now, yes. <laughs> I like that answer. That's fun. Okay. Ari, what is Hannah's favorite play that she's ever made? It's, that's a hard one, because I feel like... I don't make plays. I just do the No, no, but you just like so. The thing is, it's like it's not even that. It's like you're just very like humble and shy about like putting yourself in a spotlight. I don't even know if you like you know like. The answer is coaching yeah. high school girls out that, of the seven. That twenty seven. Out of that yeah. seven. Out of four seven. Yeah, that is a good play. Yeah. Yeah, that's a highlight. Wow, not even playing. It's a coaching highlight. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> Hannah, 
Who is someone that Ari is grateful for? Her grandma. I like that one. That's that's, a, that's like the first thing that popped in my head too. <laughs> okay, one more each. Ari, who, if Hannah can have any one person on the sideline, who would Hannah pick? That's funny. Any one person on the sideline? Why do I feel like you hate having people on the side? <laughs> yeah, that's the answer, I think. <laughs> like, I don't think you want people watching. <laughs> yeah, nobody can come. Is that, that actually is correct. your answer? That is correct. Yeah, that is Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible. Really, like, I think these are really painting a picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Hannah, what is the most embarrassing fashion trend that Ari has participated in? Oh shit! I don't, I'm not gonna have a good answer. I'm, Ari is like much hipper than I am, um, <laughs> and so I'm sure there was something atrocious from like middle school. Oh my god! I'm sure like no one wants to bring low rise flare jeans back. That'd be horrible. <laughs> you know? Did you participate in that fashion trend though? I'm sure I did. (laughs) There are a lot of things that don't need to come back. Just because they're not comfortable. You gotta be comfortable. That is true. Okay, awesome. That's 10 Seconds Doll, our first ever partner edition. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was hilarious. I liked it. That's great. I liked it too. Next time we should have like whiteboards and you each have to write your answer and then like show your answer. And then yeah, yeah, hold it up. (laughs) Yeah, that would be good. That'll be for the first live episode of of Share the Air where we can't edit it together. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Well, Hannah and Ari, thank you so much for joining us on Share the Air and, and sharing about Age Up. It was very cool to hear about the work that you all do. So yeah. thank you. Sweet. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thanks for doing a partner. This is much better. Less horrible. <laughs> totally. Thank you for yeah. suggesting it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, all right, don't make me do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. If you like the podcast and want to support us, here are a few things that you can do. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Share the Air Podcast and on Twitter at Share the Air Pod. You can also rate and review us, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And if you want to show more support or you just can't get enough of Share the Air, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash share the air. If you're interested in repping some Share the Air gear, check out our VC Ultimate store at vcultimate.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at team at sharetheairpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. Share the Air is recorded and edited by Tulsa Douglas and Louisa Nevis. It is planned and produced by Tulsa Douglas, Louisa Nevis, and Tim Bobrowski. Share the Air's music is by Gray Devlin and Christopher Hernandez. Finally, thanks again to our sponsors, Nutsy, BC Ultimate, and the Center for Applied Neuroscience.